Well, good morning again and welcome. I have a couple of announcements for you. Um, you may not be aware of this, but I'm fully aware. Tax season is upon us. Am I right, Benny? Benny, you want to give me a holler? You feel me? Huh? Okay, okay. Where is Josh? Where are you at, Josh? Are you here? Okay. Josh, if you're watching at home, we know why. All right. But all of that to say is that if you gave to Brookview in 2023, you will get a giving statement this week. If you do not get that, something happened, and we want you to reach out to us. Um, take a look at those. They're for you to use. We can resend them if you need them. Um, but the way that you contact Kelly, who is our volunteer who oversees all of that stuff, is by emailing Brookview Church Giving. Nope. Brookview Giving. I don't even know the email address. So good luck to all of you um, at gmail.com. And um, we would like to, to help you get those write-offs that you're intending to get. And then also we just want to thank you for your generosity and not just um, keeping the lights on and it nice and warm, even though many of you feel like, could we have a few more degrees in temperature? Um, we're frugal. No, just kidding. We don't want you falling asleep. That's what's happening. Um, but your giving enables us to do um, what we feel like God is calling us to do in our world, in our community, and here among us. And so thank you for your generosity. The last announcement I have is just that Connect card that is sitting on your chair. And if you're watching online, we'd love for you to fill that out. And there are baskets in the back um, on your way out the door that if you're here in person, you can drop those in. And for those of you that are online, just click the Submit button. morning, Kayla. <laughs> That's what you want when you're at church right there. You guys, in, in our culture, uh, sometimes you hear the adage, the heart wants what it wants. It actually comes from um, a guy named Woody Allen. We're going to do a little generational test in here. Uh, how many of you remember Woody Allen? Really? Well, that's better than I thought. Um, okay, how many of you remember the controversy surrounding Woody Allen? Oh, my gosh, you guys. Wow, I, I'm impressed. So for those of you that don't know, Woody, Woody Allen was a famous director, writer, actor, and comedian. And he engaged in a relationship for years with who, you guys? Mia Farrow. Mia Farrow. Good job. I, I didn't realize you guys would be so into Woody Allen. This is awesome. <laughs> um, she was a well-known model and actress. Uh, Mia Farrow adopted a little girl then named Soon Yi from South Korea. And then she adopted a few more kids. And eventually, she and Woody had a son together. And so they never married, um, but they had this little family. And so here's a cute pic of Woody with Soon Yi. Um, and so you can see sort of the father figure. This is they like to go to basketball games together. So years go by. And Mia finds nude photos of Soon Yi at Woody's house. It comes out that they are sleeping together. Uh, Woody is now 56 and Soon Yi is 21. So Woody Allen goes on to publicly date, he breaks up with Mia, publicly dates Soon Yi for a number of years, and eventually they get married. So 
Shortly after the relationship first became public, it was, as you can imagine, people were kind of, there was an outrage. So Walter Isaacson, writing for Time Magazine, interviewed Alan about the relationship. And you guys, if you've ever read that interview or you have a chance, it is a fascinating study, like case study, of human justification. Um, if you Google it, and I recommend, not, not right now, but if you Google it after church, uh, it takes maybe 10 minutes to read. It's just fascinating. But Isaacson's doing his job as a journalist, and he's asking really good probing questions, like, how has this relationship affected the other kids? Uh, how old was Sun Yi when f- things first became romantic? Did you ever feel like this shouldn't happen? And you guys, Woody Allen deflects every single question, refusing to acknowledge that there is anything problematic about dating Sun Yi. And to end the interview, Allen makes an iconic statement to justify all of it, saying, the heart wants what it wants. Now that line, the heart wants what it wants, has become like standard expression in American culture, and it's still used to justify doing whatever it is we want to do. Very few people actually know where it comes from, though. In our culture, we often call our, we call our desires um, or our longings our heart, right? But what we, what we refer to as the heart in our day and age goes sometimes by a different name in, in the scriptures, one of which is the flesh. So as human beings, we are all a mixed bag of desires. Some desires lead to life and beauty and joy, and they are really good. They are reflections of God. Others lead to chaos and destruction and ruin. Okay, the latter category is what the New Testament writers call the flesh. So another way of expressing this is, and, and you, don't, you don't need to be a follower of Jesus to agree with this, but we all have desires in us that we need to self-edit. So we are all a mixed bag of competing desires. Like, sometimes those desires are at odds with each other. Like, example, I want to love my wife. And for those of you that are visiting with us, she was the lady that gave announcements. Isn't she lovely? (laughs) Yes. And she's hip, too. (laughs) I I, want to love my wife. And I want to be connected to her. I, I want to be faithfully devoted to her for my whole life. But it's also fun to flirt with the woman at the office. <laughs> so what? Yeah, okay. So that's like more of a hypothetical example. Because <laughs> when I flirt with the woman at the office, I am loving my wife, right? <laughs> it's actually really good for me to flirt with the woman at the office as long as it doesn't distract the work. and it's get, Okay, this is getting weird. So, start over. Uh, better example. Okay, I, I want to become like Christ, right? I want to read more, pray more, just reflect Jesus more. But also, I really just want to watch sports and Netflix on TV in my free time. That one's not as hypothetical for me. You guys, you know what else? I, I want low, like low body fat with shredded abs. Six-pack variety. You guys, I want to look like Patrick Dempsey. 2023 sexiest man alive. You know, I was actually, I was trying to think of who I would choose for that. I I was thinking like Zac Efron. Then I was thinking like Tom Holland. (laughs) Like, my daughter's nodding. (laughs) It's the flesh. That's the flesh. But, okay, so Patrick Dempsey's more my generation, right? So <laughs> you can really look good when you get old. Look at that. Um, so, I, I, you know, I want, I want to be, as Time Magazine says about Patrick Dempsey, for those of you that can see it if you're up close enough, daring, dreamy, and definitely worth the wait. <laughs> right? I want to be, be in shape and slender and shredded. But also, so here's the also, also, most days, I really, really don't want to go to the gym. I just want to sit in front of the TV, crushing a huge plate of nachos. <laughs> so I, I want a six-pack and, and chiseled jaw, right? But I also, I also want nachos. <laughs> so, so in our culture, we are told, and this is, the, this is the mantra of our age, the most important thing is to be true to yourself. 
Question. If within each of us there is a mixed bag of competing desires, which is the self that we're supposed to be true to? And here's something that makes this even more complicated. Often our, our strongest desires are not our deepest desires. So in the, in the moment where my flesh gets activated, the, the, the desire in its sight can feel, it's like all I can see and think about, it's, it feels overwhelming, almost irresistible. You know, whether it's the desire to lust, to objectify a woman's body, t- desire to gossip, right, to belittle somebody or to tear somebody else down to make myself feel better, the desire to waste money on myself, compulsively shop or buy stuff so that I get that dopamine hit. Like, once my flesh gets activated, these, the desires are powerful. But when I, it, when I step out of the moment of temptation, I get out of it for a moment and I stand back a little, I get a little distance and I think clearly about what it is I, I really most want. Those are not my deepest desires. Like, I don't, I don't want to be somebody who objectifies women or gossips about people all the time or wastes money selfishly. Like, my deepest desire is to empower women and honor them and build them up. And I, I want to be somebody who uses my words to encourage people and celebrate people, right? Lift people up, not gossip. I, I want to use money generously, selflessly. Like, that's who deep down I most want to be. But if I don't resist the stronger, more temporary desires, then I let them rule me, and I become a slave to them. So we're in this series, and we're thinking about voices, like hearing God through the noise, all the voices in our culture. Like, who is it, who is it that we're allowing to tell us who God is? Who is it that's telling us who we are? Who is it that's telling us what the good life is? Who are the voices that we trust? What are the voices that we're giving authority, and, and which ones should we resist? Because in our culture, the voices are numerous, and they are loud. But one of the greatest voices that any of us will ever need to resist is our own. The voice inside us that comes from what the writers of Scripture call the flesh. And it is, it's, a, it's a voice that comes with endless rationalizations. I mean, its ability to justify behavior is exceptional. And the more we listen to it, the louder it gets, the less resistible it becomes. So Jesus is inviting us to tune into an entirely different voice, like a softer, subtler voice that we have to listen very attentively to be able to hear, like the very Spirit of God whispering to us the way to life. So today we're going to look at a uh, kind of an in-depth teaching on this from Scripture, and um, this is Galatians chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul. We're starting in, in verse 13, so here we go. Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So notice, indulging the flesh is contrary to something else. It's at odds with what Paul says, serving others in love. The flesh is selfish by nature. Like, it is about self. It's about self-indulgence. So the more we indulge the flesh the less capable we become of selfless love. Verse 14 says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So if the ultimate thing that I care about, like if the primary thing in my life is making sure that I get what I want, then... What follows is, I will step on anyone preventing me from getting it. And we've, we've all seen this play out, right, at work. Some of you, you've been in workplaces where it is just a dog-eat-dog culture. Or families where everybody's just clamoring and backbiting and, and it feels unsafe. What's happening? Everybody's controlled by the flesh. It's all about me and I don't give a rip about you. So Paul continues. He says, so I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now, this is just interesting. Like, this is an interesting thought in our, like, Pacific Northwest, uber-woke Seattle culture. Because we say stuff like, the heart wants what it wants. 
we say stuff like, be true to yourself. And what we often mean is, you will be happiest if you don't deny yourself and you just do whatever the heck you want. But Paul is saying, yeah, actually, no, not true. Do, do whatever you want is not good. And people who live by that motto, they devolve into chaos. And he goes on to list what happens when the flesh lives unrestrained. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, whew, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to be clear about something here because there, I think there's a lot of confusion in uh, the, just the way that people grew up in the churches. Paul is not saying here, if you do or have done these things, God isn't going to let you into heaven when you die. He's saying, look, if you follow your flesh, if you allow your flesh to rule you, it's going to bring about various levels of destruction in your life and in the lives of people around you. And it will make you into a certain kind of person. So you cannot worship the flesh and at the same time experience Jesus, his freedom, his kingdom, and the ultimate human flourishing that he came to offer. So Paul gives examples of the destruction that when we just do whatever the heck we want follows. Stuff like sexuality run amok. Stuff like addictions, anger, anger management issues, relationships that are characterized by envy or gossip or backbiting or bitterness, like a trail of broken relationships, a life that's filled with regret. And this is where constantly living by or giving into the flesh leads. But Paul says it doesn't have to be like that. So far, this is not super encouraging, is it? We're about to get to the encouraging part, you guys. Let's go. <laughs> Paul says it doesn't have to be like that. That the Holy Spirit is actually guiding us in a different direction, and the Spirit is available to anybody who wants the Spirit. And here's where that leads. So read this out loud with me. Very famous passage. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I, I have a little, I have, I have an issue that like a few years ago, the NIV like tweaked some things and came out with a new publication. And they changed patience to forbearance. What the heck? <laughs> what is forbearance? I mean, if you're ever like, you know, in a, you know those of you that are married, you're in a little spat with your spouse and you, you want to say, be patient with me. Do you say, please give me some forbearance? <laughs> That's weird. Okay, uh, my rant is over. Here's back to positivity. The point is, this is the kind of stuff that happens when we're led by the Spirit. Uh, it's love. It's people rooting for each other, sacrificing for one another. It's joy, a sense of awe and wonder and excitement. It's peace, a sense of calm, right? Just, it's okay. It's patience, an unhurried pace in the world. It's gentleness in a culture of anger and rage and judgment and harshness. It's, it's kindness in an age where it's, it's in vogue to just tear each other down. It's self-control, not just reacting instinctively to stuff like animals. It's faithfulness in an ethos of, of commitment phobia. Like it is, it's the opposite of the flesh. So the first, the first list that he gives of those controlled by the flesh, it just, it reads like the average news feed, right? Human behavior running wild, unregulated, destructive. The second list is, is what I most want my life to be characterized by. My family, my kids, my group of friends, our church. Second list is like a taste of heaven. And Paul says, if we truly want the fruits of life walking in the Spirit, he says, then don't even play around with the desires of the flesh. So he continues. He says, those who belong to, to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What did Jesus say was step one to following him? Like, if we want to follow Jesus, where do we start? Well, Jesus said, here's where you start. Take up your cross and deny yourself. Right? This is why following Jesus is, is unappealing to so many. I mean, his teaching wasn't, be true to yourself. 
Nobody does you like you, boo. <laughs> you know, I've just come, I've just come into the world, the Son of Man has just come into the world to aid in your self-empowerment. For Jesus, the starting point is, oh, you want to apprentice after me? You want to become my disciple? That is awesome. There's your cross. Go die. Certain desires in you need to be crucified. And, and Paul is simply reiterating the teaching of Rabbi Jesus. He's saying if, if you want to experience life to the full, if you want to come fully alive, part of you has to die first. You have to crucify the flesh. Now, not that part of you that's, that's beautiful and who God wants you to be, not the courageous, kind, creative, selfless, giving you, but all of the stuff in you that's in the way of that. So if you die to your flesh, here's the thing. You don't stop being you. You actually are free to become more of you. What's, what's holding you back gets stripped away, and, and Jesus says, Paul says, you're free now. Paul continues. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So throughout this passage, there's four verbs that are kind of painting a picture by Paul. Verse 16, he says, walk in the Spirit. Verse 18, he says, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, he says, uh, live by the Spirit. And then, uh, and then he says, keep in step with the Spirit. So four verbs that form a, a word picture of surrender to the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's walking in, being led by, living by, keeping in step with the Spirit. And this, you guys, this is like a huge idea uh, of what it, what it really is to follow Jesus. This is so central. Um, Paul is saying the solution to the problem is not willpower, but spirit power. A, a lot of Christians seem to think that the way to kill the flesh is willpower. So, right, so like we hear a sermon or we listen to a podcast or some worship music or we go to camp at some point in our life, right, and, it, and, we're, and we're inspired and we think, oh, man, this is great. You know, from here on, I'm just going to try harder. Just say no to drugs, right, or to porn or to anger or whatever, and, and we might even have a measure of success with that, but often it doesn't last. Like over time, we lose resolve, we give in to temptation, and before long, we feel hopeless, and we start thinking, man, like, I am just not a very good Christian. Paul says, this is really important, Paul says, it isn't about your willpower, it's about spirit power. Now, Paul is not down on willpower. Like, Paul's not down on effort or, or trying hard. Like, if we're going to crucify the flesh, it's going to take effort. But here's what Paul is pleading with us to understand. And so, like, if you take nothing else away from what I'm saying today, take this. Effort alone is not enough. Human willpower is not enough to overcome the flesh. It just isn't. Is it needed? Yes. Is it enough to do the job? Absolutely not. You need something else, something more. You need the Spirit. And so that leads to what I want to focus on for the rest of, of this message. How do I live by the Spirit? You guys, because live by the Spirit, it sounds so nice. Sounds kind of in a cool way, kind of mysterious and, and, and a little vague. It sounds, it sounds like a spiritual cliche, but not real life. And I think there's a ton of confusion about how we tangibly engage in this. Like, what does it mean to live by the Spirit? Sounds so mystical. Sounds like something that the average Christian, the average follower of Christ can't do. It sounds like something that you need to be like a monk or a nun or a mystic to pull it off. Like, can you like, can you like raise kids and work at Boeing? How many of you work at Boeing, by the way? Get it high, Tim. <laughs> we, two. We really have two people in here that work at Boeing? Wow. Okay. So can you raise kids and work at Boeing or Google any, uh, or be a school teacher? <laughs> can you be a college student, a middle school student? Can you be a normal human being and do this? Can you, can you do this? You guys, this is, this is actually way more down to earth than I think we, we envision. And Paul's going to explain what this looks like. And it's so, do, it's like so doable and so simple. So here we go. Paul continues a few verses later in Galatians. This is awesome. He explains what it is to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. And he writes, Do not be deceived. 
God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, Paul's writing to people who understood farming, right? Sowing is what? Planting, and reaping is harvesting, okay? So, so what does that have to do with living by the Spirit? Well, Paul continues. He says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So if, if you and I plant stuff in our life to please the flesh, Paul says, from the flesh we will reap destruction. Now notice, this is not God uh, uh, raining down judgment or punishment upon us. It's just the natural outcome of catering to the flesh. Most of the destruction that we experience, we bring on ourselves. On the other hand, if we plant stuff in our lives to please the Spirit, from the Spirit we will reap what NIV translates as eternal life. But I, I want to point out that even that language and that concept is so often misunderstood. Um, many scholars, a whole bunch of scholars, are now arguing that eternal life is really not the best translation of the Greek idea there. Because what happens for us, and people that have been around churches for a long time or just been in America, um, when you hear the word eternal life, so often what we think is, well, what happens in heaven after I die? So assume Paul's uh, um, uh, saying, so assume Paul's saying, if you sow to the Spirit, this is what we assume then. We take what he's saying here, we assume he's saying, if you sow to the Spirit, then you'll get into heaven one day. So this whole thing is about what happens on the other side of death, right? But that isn't what Paul's saying. So many scholars argue instead of eternal life, a better translation is, of the Greek idea there is, the life of the age to come. And you go, well, that's just splitting hairs. No, it's not. It's not. Uh, why does this matter? It matters because the life of the age to come is actually available to us in certain ways right now. Because what will come in full one day is already available right here right now to some degree. Paul's just echoing the teaching of Rabbi Jesus who said stuff like, the kingdom of, of God is at hand or the kingdom of, of heaven is among you. I mean, back to Paul, he says, whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap the life of the age to come, both now and forevermore. I like Eugene Peterson's translation of this whole passage from the message. He says, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. And he'll have to show, he'll, all he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The whole point of this is that stuff is available to us now. And Paul is saying, trust me, you want that stuff. You really, really want that stuff, so plant well. Even if it takes effort, it's worth it. He continues, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, I don't, this is kind of a famous little verse, and it makes a great cliche for like a plaque that you put in your house or on a, like a Hallmark card. So I don't know if you've ever had someone like quote this to you or say this to you or pray this over you, and, and that's, it's cool, it's beautiful, um, but often when people like quote it or they pray it or whatever, it, they're applying it to some hard season of life. Like, hey, don't grow weary of doing good. Like, like stay at it as a mom, sis, or as a parent, or as a spouse, or in your job, or through this hard thing that you're dealing with, or in your church. Um, people have quoted this to me several times about being a pastor, right? Which is good. But in Galatians, Paul's, Paul's actually not talking about a hard season of life here. He's talking about this ongoing fight that we have with our flesh. He's saying, don't grow weary. Like, don't, don't, give, up, don't give up in the fight. Don't surrender. Don't just throw in the towel and say, it's too hard. It's too much work. I'm not good at this. The odds are against me. I don't think I could ever do it. Paul is screaming. He's saying, look, never, never, ever, ever, ever give up on this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And this idea that a, that a person reaps what they sow, 
kind of in our culture these days, it's what we call the law of returns. And, um, and it's not a Christian idea. It's just the way the world works. Um, and we kind of all acknowledge it. So there are tons of ways that this idea gets expressed in our culture. Like, what goes around what? <laughs> yeah, like father, like, Money. yep. You, you get out what you put in. Put in. No pain, no pain. garbage in. Oh, yeah, you guys know all about this stuff. Now, Paul happens to be writing to people in his day, in his context, his culture, who understand agriculture. So he uses the metaphor of planting and harvesting, sowing and reaping. You, you really, you don't need to be a farmer to get this. Um, I think we all understand what Paul's talking about. Um, he's saying if you, if you sow a, a rose seed, you get what? Roses. Uh, you sow thistle seeds and you get... Yeah, an obnoxious weed in your beautiful lawn. But here's the second part of it. If you sow a seed in time, what do you get back? A seed? No, like you get a whole rose bush, right? Or in Paul's example of, of, of sowing seed, a massive harvest, right? An entire field of wheat or corn or barley. He's like, it's disproportionate. You sow a little bit and you get this huge thing in return over time. And if Paul were writing to economists in our day and age, um, he might have explained it with the picture of compound interest. Okay, the miracle, you guys, the stinking miracle of how money multiplies over time. Uh, if any of you have ever studied this or just like visited a financial planner, they will explain to you the magic of compound interest, which is super cool. Um, so if you, you, know, you invest in something that's interest-bearing and then you just let it bear interest over time, you gain interest on your money, but eventually you gain interest on your interest on your interest on your interest. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So here's a, here's a chart of how compound interest works. This is somebody investing $10,000 at 15% compounding annual interest over 40 years. <laughs> what? hey, it's a good market. <laughs> this is God's Holy Spirit market, you guys. Think of it in spiritual growth terms. Okay. So if you start investing in your, in your 20s, and then y the thing will kind of inch along, right, into your 30s, and then it'll start in increasing a bit into your 40s, and then in your 50s, you guys, it, it really starts to take off, and then in your 60s, you become Bill freaking Gates. <laughs> So, so over time, some of you right now are going, but I need to put more in my, <laughs> in my retirement. Like, um, but you probably only get like 3%. So. <laughs> but oh, you, okay, you get the point. Over time, you, you gain interest upon interest upon interest upon interest. And this is the principle of compound interest. And here's, this is what Paul's point is in this passage. Compound interest isn't just a financial reality. It's like it's a life reality. Like if you sow to the flesh... Destruction will happen, but then more destruction will build off of the destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, beauty will build off of beauty until your life is filled with more and more beauty. It will build off of itself. Theologian Cornelius Plantinga explains it this way. He says, no matter what we sow, the law of returns applies. Good or evil, love or hate, justice or tyranny, grapes or thorns, a gracious compliment or a peevish complaint, Whatever we invest, we tend to get it back with interest. Lovers are loved, haters hated. Forgivers usually get forgiven. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. Compound interest isn't just a financial reality. It's a life reality. And psychologists have been recognizing this and talking about it for years. Um, I don't know if you've, any of you studied psychology or even just taken like Psych 101, but if you did, you probably heard about a guy named Eric Fromm. And Fromm was not a follower of Jesus, but he, he, he agrees with Paul on this. He writes, The more we continue to make the wrong decisions, the more our heart hardens. The more often we make the right decisions, the more our heart softens, or per better perhaps, comes alive. Interesting language for someone that doesn't follow Jesus. 
Each step in life increases my self-confidence, my integrity, my courage, my conviction, also increase my capacity to choose the desirable alternative until it eventually becomes more difficult for me to choose the undesirable rather than the desirable action. So initially, we, we, make, we make our decision, we make our decisions, but eventually, our decisions make us. So like in the beginning, we have a choice, but after time, eventually, we have a character. So whatever cycle we begin, and this is the point of it, whatever cycle we begin over time, it feeds off of itself. And, and you guys have seen this with people that you have known that have walked on a certain road over time. Like they, they just become increasingly beautiful, or they become increasingly broken. A few years ago, um, we were at a family gathering up in Ferndale, and um, Jen's older brother, Jake, walked in, and it looked like he'd seen a ghost. Um, he's kind of pale anyway, but he looked extra pale. <laughs> and he's got big eyes, and when he walked in, his eyes were just, like, huge. Uh, and and we're, everyone's just kind of like, what's up, man? He's like, you guys. He's really intense. He's like, you guys, I just stopped at the gas station on my way here, and there was like an old, creepy dude in a rundown car smoking a cigarette. And he had his window cracked just a little bit, and cigarettes going out the window, and he said, Jake, Jake, Jake. We're just, we're all, and there's like 30 of us in the family. We're like, this is interesting. <laughs> he said, so I, so I walked over, and I couldn't believe it. Now, Jen's uh, brother had had like, quite a rough stretch in high school. Um, he just ran with a, a difficult crowd. He was using. Um, he ended up dropping out of high school. And so, so he explained, that old, creepy-looking dude used to be one of my best friends in high school. But his, his teeth looked horrible. I mean, he looked horrible. 20 years older than he is, 30 years older. He, I don't know how old. He looked old. He looked weathered. He looked beaten down. But he was like, Jake, oh my gosh, man, how are you? It's been forever, man. And Jake said he could not believe what he was looking at. Because when they were young, this guy was the man. He was super good looking, super charismatic, super likable. He was winsome, lighthearted. He was the one guy in the group that all the girls were into but he never got off the train that Jake was on in his teens. So Jake got married, and he got clean, and he went in a different direction with his life, and he's been married for, I don't know, like 27 years, has three kids. He pioneered this crazy lucrative business. It's super successful, and he drives a ridiculous truck and has a bunch of other cars, and he just has a totally different life. But he ran into this guy at the gas station, and he walked into the family gathering, white as a ghost, and he, he said, you guys... I just saw what I would have become had God not intervened. Jen, Jen's brother watched the reality of compound interest, right? Energy from a life cycle feeding off of itself. Now, for somebody, that we, we all know this, for somebody that's using, this happens really fast, but it's not just drugs. Like, take a, a much less dramatic example. It's just something like negativity. Like, throughout my life, I, I've as many of you have, struggled with this. Um, and here's the downside. Every decision we make to complain or to criticize or to play the victim or to focus on the negative, we become more and more the kind of person who is by nature negative, nitpicky, unhappy, critical, and not fun to be around. Until eventually, we actually start losing our capacity to be able to rejoice, to notice and to celebrate all that's good and beautiful. But this happens for good as well, and this is our hope. Like, no matter where we're at, we can, we can change the cycle. And this is our hope. Every time you resist negativity and you, you choose the alternative, it will become a part of you and much easier for you to do in the future. And, and this, is, this is what Paul is promising. You, you get going in the right direction, and then you just watch, watch what happens when, when that energy feeds off of itself. He's saying things that you cannot do today you could not even dream of doing today, will actually become possible for you one day. But you have to start the cycle. You have to get moving. So back to our question. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? How do we, how do we go about walking by or walking with the Spirit? Well, according to Paul, it's pretty simple. If we want to live by the Spirit, 
We have to sow to the Spirit. So I, I once heard this explained this way. Um, this is a great pastor's illustration. I don't know if it's true. I think it is. But if it's not, don't judge me and don't email me. <laughs> this makes sense to me, though. That inside of us, there's all, it, feels like, it feels like there's a fight happening. I don't know if you feel this, this internal tension, turmoil. It gets described as like, it's like two dogs that are, that are fighting. The flesh and the spirit. Now, I'm told that people who organize like dog fighting and take bets, um, they have this old trick for fixing a fight. So before the fight, the day or two before, they feed one dog and they starve the other. And then when they put them in the ring, it's just like no contest. So in a sense, this is what Paul is saying we must do. <coughs> right now, within us, the dogs might be going back and forth. Right now, the flesh might actually be, be winning in some regard. But if you feed the spirit and starve the flesh, you can tilt the fight to go in the right direction. And, and so it's not just about willpower. Um, to farmers, Paul explained it like this. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will, uh, will, the life of the age, will experience the life of the age to come. So if, if, you, if you let yourself walk in the Spirit, if you sow seeds that please the Spirit, eventually the Spirit begins to take over more and more, and that energy will feed off of itself so that one day, and this is awesome, you can naturally and easily do what right now in your current state feels impossible for you. It, it isn't just about gritting your teeth and trying harder. Like, you, yes, you need to try hard, but, but, but just as important, you need to sow the right seeds. You need to feed the right dog. And, and we do that primarily um, in two ways. First, we, we sow to the Spirit by organizing our life around intentional practices. I mean, what are, what are the practices that, that, that sow to please the Spirit for you? And, and what are the ones that feed the right dog? Uh, if you engage in those, like, in regular, consistent ways, then what happens is you're planting seeds. So what are those practices for you? Because those are a really, really big deal. They create energy in you that can feed off of itself. And when it compounds over time and interest kicks in, you become a person able to naturally and easily do what right now takes great effort or feels flat out impossible for you. So like if you're an alcoholic, you need AA and a sponsor and regular meetings. Over time, you can overcome the flesh if you keep planting seeds. If you keep feeding the right dog, then what was once impossible for you becomes possible for you. And we all know people that have done exactly this. For me, there are certain practices that I know I have to have in my life. I have to. I know I have to get enough sleep. You guys, if I don't get enough sleep, I get real fleshy. <laughs> Just ask my family. I know I need to be with other believers, like in prayer and in the word and just hearing their stories and their perspectives and their takes and what's going on in their lives. I know I also need time by myself in the Word to reflect, like not just to prep sermons, like, but for me. And so I, I try to, I'm, I read, I journal, um, I try to meet with other, I've got life groups I'm a part of. You guys, you're like, well, you lead them because it's your job. It is my job, but man, I need those things. I learn a lot, and I'm reminded of things that are so important to me from all of you that I'm in groups, that I've been in groups with over the years. It's huge. I know that I need church. Like, I discovered this way before I was a pastor. Going to church with regularity, it fed the right dog. It planted seeds week after week in my heart, and I needed, I needed routine. I, I know I need to serve other people, like, in intentional, regular ways. I can't just have life be all about me. I need regular times where it is very directly and intentionally about other people. And so for me, we, we can all find different ways to do this kind of thing. For me, it's been coaching, coaching basketball or baseball or softball or football. I just started, you guys, I just started coaching seventh grade girls basketball as an assistant coach underneath one of the greatest coaches on the planet, Caitlin Huguenin, <laughs> at Voyager Middle School, and it's awesome. After one practice, anyway. <laughs> you, let's go, yeah. They do know what a trouble is. They've learned about... You guys, please pray for us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
So, okay, I'm, di I'm totally digressing, <laughs> but I just want to, I need your sympathy. We need your support. <laughs> we had 10 girls come out to play basketball in seventh grade at Voyager Middle School. None of them have ever played basketball before <laughs> in seventh grade. And our first game, you guys, is, is Heatherwood, or is it Gateway, Mi Gateway Middle School in the middle of Mill Creek, where they're going to have 10 girls that have played year-round basketball since they were seven years old. <laughs> and we're going to freaking smash them. <laughs> Okay, so I, I coach, and, uh, and that, you know, that, that kind of stuff helps me uh, just be in the mindset of serving people. I'm not here for my ego. I'm not here. I'm here to build into them and help, help them flourish. Um, I've discovered that worship music, I mean, I, I can't imagine having been in the world like 80 years ago when you couldn't just log into something and listen to whatever you want, but you can and so I do. Like, I got worship music playing everywhere. I listen to it when I work out. I listen to it in my car. I listen to it everywhere that I can. I, for me, new thing, newer thing for me over the last couple of years is I watch Bible Project videos. I'm like, a, I'm like an addict. I'm a consumer of Bible Project videos because I'm, I'm sort of intellectually wired. It feeds me. And these are all routines for me that are essential. They're not going to be your routines. But for me, they are. You've got to know what yours are. My question is, what do you already know you need more of? What do you already know you need more of? And what do you already know you need less of? You go, I, I want to walk with the Spirit. Start there. What do you already know you need more of? And what do you already know you need less of? And here's the thing. My guess is you already know. And how is that? Because the Spirit is speaking to you, and the Spirit has been speaking to you. So listen to that. Walk with the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit. Those seeds will create energy that will create more energy, and it will feed off itself. I think uh, sometimes we, we look at aspects of the Christian life. I mean, it really is. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can be a Christian because there are so many aspects of this that I could never do. And this is what we do. We look at, we look at it, we go, okay, there's, 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 uh, I'm not capable of doing this. That, there's aspects of this that are just completely beyond me. You guys, what Paul is saying here, and this is, this is really key, nothing is beyond you. Because if you listen to the Spirit and you start with simple steps, you will initiate a cycle that will build on itself and you will plant seeds that will grow and grow and you might be shocked at what comes out of the ground one day in your life. So we sow to the Spirit by organizing our lives around intentional practices. Also, we feed our spirit and starve the flesh with the little decisions. Right? So, so every time you indulge envy or greed or anger or bitterness, you make it easier to do it the next time. Every time you indulge love or kindness or faithfulness or self-sacrifice, you make it easier to do the next time. The, the little decisions, it turns out, are not so little. So question, and, and don't answer this out loud. This is rhetorical. Just a little self-reflection. Does watching Netflix feed the flesh or the spirit? See, I think, I think it totally depends. It depends on what you watch. Right? If you watch Disney princess movies, that feeds the flesh. <laughs> It depends on what you watch. I mean, you can, you can watch stuff that sows to the flesh. It is available. But you can also watch stuff that sows to the spirit. And that moment of decision with the remote, turns out like it matters. It, it may matter more than you think. Well, what happens if, if you make the small decisions? You just begin by making the small decisions that sow to the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus wants you free. He loves you, and he wants you free. Free from irrational fears, free from jealousy and comparison, free from lust and greed, free from the desire to control people. Jesus wants you free. Free from an unwillingness to be uncomfortable. He wants you free to be stretched. Free from 
Selfishness that prevents you from loving well. Free from bitterness that can well up in you and destroy you. So I'll just, I'll just close by asking this. What is freedom? Our world says freedom is your right to indulge every desire. But what Jesus taught and what Paul echoes is, what if indulging every desire actually leads to slavery? What if pandering to every craving leads to misery? What if the only real way to freedom is to die? Uh, what if, what if Paul is, is, is really very simply telling us the way? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I just want to say to those of you that are here, and if you're here and, and, and in trying to follow Jesus or even just checking this thing out, you, you feel weak and you feel inadequate, or, or you feel like you, you could never actually fully walk with Jesus, maybe like you see other people do. You feel like this life is, is, is simply beyond you. I just, I just want to leave you with this thought. Don't give up. Don't give up. It's, it's not just about willpower. It's not just about gritting your teeth. It's about step-by-step step moving into life with the Spirit. So if you, if you sow to the Spirit, even in small ways, what is impossible today can become very possible tomorrow. Father in heaven, I thank you that you've not left us on our own. That as we walk through life and we walk through a culture and we w walk through a world where there's so much brokenness and um, so much to overcome, it's out there, but it's also in here, in, in us. God, I thank you that you've, you've given us what we need to begin to become new. And that you promised to walk with us all the way through the entire, the entire process until we are eventually fully transformed into the image of Jesus. That it, within our personality and our giftings and, and the things that we're interested in and, and all of that, the things that are unique to us, uh, we begin to look more like Jesus in character. We, we learn to love and we learn to be generous and to be kind, to be strong, to be patient. God, we want that. Our families want that from us. The people that are closest to us want that from us. And so, God, would you just enable us? I pray that this morning you would help us identify just, just even one area where we realize, okay, I need more of this. And another area where I would say, I need, I need less of this. And help us to begin to take the, the small steps that we need to take that lead to really big things in the future. You make what's impossible possible. And it's true for every one of us if we trust you. Teach us to trust you.